Hey guys, Mother's Day is just around the corner. And in case you are looking for a perfect Mother's Day gift, I have a recommendation for you. Go to the Flourish Mustard Seed, and that's kind of a tongue twister. I'm gonna say it again, the Flourished Mustard Seed. She paints such beautiful, beautiful artwork on the cover of ESV Bibles. This would be a really great Mother's Day gift that you could give an aunt, a sister, a loved one, a mom. So I will put the link in the show notes. You can head there and order your mom, your aunt, your sister, your best friend, a Mother's Day gift. Although my introduction is the first thing you hear, it's actually the last piece of the production puzzle. First, I've obviously interviewed, and then I've re-listened, and I've taken notes, and I've edited, and finally click saved. And then I write the intro. By the time I get to this point, I really feel like every woman who shares their story with us has shared an extravagantly expensive jewel, and I sit holding it, about to launch it into the world. Every jewel is nuanced, it's intricate, it's full of depth, and it's full of beauty. And today's story is no different, and it is a rare jewel. Today, Kylie White is going to share with us a miracle, her miracle. And just in case we ever doubted that God is still in the miracle working business, she has brought us this beautiful story. We are so glad that you are here. Join us. Kylie, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Just so, so glad that you are here with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so glad to be here. So we would just love if you could begin by introducing yourself to us. Yes, my name is Kylie White. I live on the south side of Atlanta, married to my husband, John, my college sweetheart for the last 19 years. Uh, We have four kids, um, two high schoolers, a middle schooler, and an elementary schooler. So we're in the crazy years. Um, So definitely learning dependence on the Lord. Um, We also expanded our family through international adoption. Our younger two are biological siblings from Congo. Um, And then we are also part of the um, Chick-fil-A family business. And so it's just an honor and a joy to steward that and to point people to Christ through our business. And um, so we're really have active roles in that as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, everyone listening loves Chick-fil-A. And <laughs> as moms, we all depend upon it, or at least I'll speak for myself, depend upon I depend upon it to keep my life going with all my that's children right. and all the all the things that go on, right? That's too. Yes, right. <laughs> well, we're gonna go back a few years in your story and I would you're gonna be sharing a just a, a miraculous story with us. Um, I would love as we head back in your story for you to just kind of start where you feel like it's appropriate at the beginning of your story and just share with us a little bit about the miraculous journey that God has taken you on. Yes. So it was the beginning of 2019. And in the strangest of starts to the story, my husband had been on a work trip and had watched a documentary on an airplane about seeing eye dogs. And he came home and he was really off. And I was like, what's going on? He was like, I don't know how to say this, but I just got really scared when I watched this video because this lady had this strange collection of symptoms and all of them reminded me of you. And so I was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, she, you know, was losing her sight. She couldn't see at night. She started tripping over things. And these are all things you do. And I would just feel better if you went and got your eyes checked. 
And so I was like, okay, like we kind of laughed about it at first. Like I was 35, maybe it was time for glasses. I kind of excused it of I'm just busy and rushing around. And, and so I was like, but I'll, I'll do that just to get your mind clear. And, you know, something in me was like, what if, but I kind of pushed it off and was like, definitely not. Um, so I went that January to the equivalent of vision works to get glasses and walk in and she makes me read the eye chart. I read the lowest line perfectly. She's like 2020. I don't know why you're here. You don't need glasses. And I said, well, that's what I thought. But my husband said this thing about all these weird symptoms and he just wanted me to get checked. And she said, you know what, while you're here, let's do a peripheral vision check. And so she was like, look at my nose. I'm going to hold out some fingers. Tell me how many, tell me how many fingers I'm holding up. And I looked at her nose and I could not see her arm, her shoulder, even like her chest. I was like, what's going on? And her eyes got really big. She started to panic, rushed me off to retinal imaging, called in colleagues. She was like, I've never seen anything like this. She was like, you've lost over 58% of your sight. She was like, you either have a brain tumor pressing on your optic nerve or you're going blind. So she needed to connect me with another specialist who could confirm that diagnosis. So thankfully, I got in a week later. I didn't have to wait too long. But that lady, about a week later, confirmed I had retinitis pigmentosa, which is a degenerative genetic eye disease, which takes first your night vision, then your peripheral vision until it's like a tunnel, and then your tunnel closes into complete blindness. Um, Also, the component of the type of genetic disease I had, also you could lose your hearing um, and potentially go deaf as well. So that day, as I sat in that office and she spoke that diagnosis over me, it was like anything, unlike anything I had ever experienced because our pastor in North Carolina at the time had said, always said this. He said, I hope when life cuts you, you bleed God's word. And I kind of understood what that meant. But in that moment, when you get that sort of news, it was like God was speaking louder than the news she was giving me. It was like she said, you know, this is a genetic disease you've had since birth. And I heard him say, like, I knit you together in your mother's womb and you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And then she started saying things like, this is going to cause a lot of obstacles in your life. You need to learn how to use a cane and um, probably give up your driver's license soon. And as she spoke that, I heard, I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. And so it was this experience of news, but also transcending truth. And God gave me a piece that didn't make any sense to me. I would have thought that would have knocked me down, but it was just this beautiful invitation from the Lord of this is something I am inviting you into, and it's going to be an adventure that we walk together. And so I don't want to paint too pretty of a picture. There were definitely some hard days. There was the, you know, at that time I had all elementary schoolers and middle schoolers driving is my main job. How am I going to cook? Am I going to see them walk down the aisle, watch their graduations? Am I going to be the type of grandmother I want to be? There was a lot of surrender in the process of, you know, these things are temporary Jesus is eternal. I want the eternal, but I'm also sad to lose the temporary. So it was this giving up process. But I think like one thing that made it come to life for me was learning how to use the cane, the white cane you see people walk with. And it was the most frustrating thing. It's so much harder than it looks. It would kick back into your chest and 
poke you in the ribs and I couldn't figure out how to navigate with it. But more than just that, I think the cane represented to me all the physical challenges blindness would bring. It represented me walking through an airport, me being noticeably blind, people looking at me like, oh, that poor woman and, you know, get out of her way. Like it was just this physical representation of all of the loss and all of the challenges. But at the same time, I knew God was inviting me into a dependency that I couldn't get to without my diagnosis. And so it was also this season of suffering, yes, but dependency that brought so much intimacy that I couldn't get to without walking the road of my diagnosis. So it ended up being this hard, but beautiful and painful, but strengthening journey with him. Um, So it was really, really a beautiful time in my faith as it grew in this way that it couldn't have any other way. Yeah. Um, So, so many people would ask me like, I'm praying for you and I'm praying for your healing. And God was doing so much in my life at that time that I was not praying for healing. People were coming to Christ. I was getting to share my testimony with college students in our house. We lived in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And I was just like, if this is what you do with this, bring it. Like, let's do this, Lord. And so I really hadn't asked for healing. And then about two years later, we moved to Atlanta And I started getting into a Bible study and that led to finding a mentor. And this mentor challenged me with this question. She said, what is your theological backing for not asking for healing? And honestly, it really stumped me. I kind of went to the verse um, in John 9 where the disciples come across the blind man and they say, is it his sin or his parents' sin that he went blind? And Jesus says, neither. It's so that the work of the Lord might be displayed in him. So I just kind of explained to her, that was my anchor prayer. If it's blindness, use it, display your work through me. And she said, that's very true, but you took it out of context. She said, you know, he's healed in the next verse, right? (laughs) And so, you know, we laughed about it and she was like, I just want to challenge you to read the gospels again, Matthew through Acts and really dig into why are you not asking for healing? And is that a question the Lord is inviting you into? So at first I kind of buckled up against it. Like, no, I don't have to have healing. I want the Lord more than I want the gift of the Lord. Like, but I was like, okay, I'll read it. I've read those books a million times. I'll do it again. And it's kind of like when you're looking for something, it shows up everywhere. Right. Exactly. And so I start reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. It's like healing after healing after healing. And as you look at the life of Jesus, you really realize is the church and is my life really looking like this? Am I bringing healing and am I, you know, pointing people to the kingdom come? He always is talking about the kingdom come and on earth as it is in heaven. And then I got to see that, like, I really didn't know the Holy Spirit like I should. And like, it's presented in the gospels. And I used to joke with my husband all the time, like, if Jesus was here in person, I would know what to do. And You know, you read what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit, and he says, it's better that I go so that he can come. And so why am I not living? Like, I know God, I know Jesus, but the Holy Spirit's like this forgotten third member of the Trinity that I had ignored his role and who he is in my life and accessing the power he offers. And so as my eyes were opened spiritually in this Bible study I was going through about lies I had put on the Lord and misguided beliefs about who he was and that he's not displeased. He's not a disappointed father. He's not a punisher. Like he's an inviter. He's a healer. He's a provider. He's 
He can be so intimate with us. We can hear from him. It was like, it was like this sight was coming from here to here spiritually. And I was getting to see the Lord in a new way as I read through the gospels, which led me to the question that started the reading was, why am I not asking? And as I prayed, I just realized, I think there was fear of disappointment there. I was, I think that I feared I'd rather have peace and know what's coming, even if it's blindness, rather than risk and ask and the answer potentially be no. And so I really had to surrender that, surrender that fear, surrender that even that lie that I sometimes didn't believe he was a good God. And so as I surrendered those things, it was like the Lord filled in the gaps in ways that only he can. And so it was this beautiful growing and this beautiful strengthening of my faith. So I was really thankful for those years with the Lord of walking through that pain so closely with me. Uh, which led me to um, March 31st of 2021. I um, I had two months left with my driver's license. I had already had to give it up at night and in the rain, but I was driving to Bible study and it was our final day that day in Father's house with Rachel Brown, who you've actually had on this podcast before. And um, I showed up and the lesson was on the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. And what no one knew at the gathering was that the Lord had clearly invited me to ask on my way up um, that morning to Bible study. And it was so clear that he was like, you're my daughter. You can approach me boldly and ask. Leave the result to me, but it's your invitation to ask. And because of your position as daughter, you can come to me with that question. And so I asked as simply as a daughter asking a dad for something. And I said, it's, you know, I'm asking you for this, not because I deserve it, not because the outcome is better than who you are, but just because you've invited me to ask, so God, would you heal my sight and restore to me my vision? At this point, I was almost legally blind. I was about 30% left. Walked into Bible study that day, almost completely forgot about the prayer I had prayed. We're talking about that we have resurrection power accessible to us through the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit and why so often we leave that like almost like a wrapped gift under the Christmas tree that we never open. yeah. And as we closed that day, Karen McCaddock looked at me and she, Rachel looked at me and they were like, can we pray for you? We're feeling prompted to pray for you and start with you. I was like, sure. And so they didn't know anything about my diagnosis and um, they laid their hands on me. The women gathered around and they started praying that my eyes would be open to the power of the Holy Spirit. And then as, as they were praying, someone else that did know me piped in and said, and God, would you also heal her physical sight? And so I remember Karen stopping the prayer and saying, hold on, do you have a diagnosis? And I explained, yes, I've been diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa. I've lost about 70% of my sight. And she was like, then we're starting over. And so she laid her hands on my eyes and prayed and asked the Lord to take back ground that had been taken from the enemy and heal my sight. And I remember her saying, in Jesus' name, amen, open your eyes. Can you see? And I said, no, (laughs) you know, I can still only see to hear. And I showed her that, you know, my sight was good in this little tunnel, but anything outside of here was gone. So I remember her looking at me. She was on the floor. I still had my hands up showing her where my sight had been limited. And she said, then I don't think we're done praying. And she put one hand on my left hand and one hand on my right hand. And she started to pray. Both of our eyes opened. 
asking the Lord to heal and bring back sight in the power of Jesus. And as she did, she started to push my hands into my peripheral. And as she pushed, it was, it was like light and color and clarity was like almost like a wave rushing on the front side of my hands as she pushed back. And it was, it was kind of disorienting because as she did, it was like, I could see another woman in the room and another woman and another woman in my hands. And they were all the way out over my shoulders. And I remember just shouting, I can see my hands and not realizing how limited my sight was because that's only my experience. I didn't know how other people saw, but the room got huge. It was like, it was like looking through a quarter size tunnel to being in an IMAX theater. It was just huge. And I just remember thinking, I know God just healed me in an instant, gave me back all of the sight that I have never remembered seeing. And I had no concept for that. I had never seen a healing or heard of an instantaneous healing like this. And it was, it was mind blowing. It was really shocking. Wow. Wow. Did you wrestle after that with any thoughts? Like, what if God takes this away? Yes. Yes. I remember getting in in the car that day and I was like moving my hands all around like, oh my gosh, I can see here and here. It's true. Like it's, I'm not making this up. And I, but I remember waking up the next morning and I had my eyes closed to sleep and I was like, oh my goodness, what if I open my eyes and it's gone? And I think for a couple days, that was my experience. What if I open my eyes and it's back to how it was? And it was again, another invitation to surrender of like, which do I prioritize the healing or the healer? And it almost was this piece of like, I've already surrendered my sight. I already came to terms with that. It was gone. So really in a sense, I don't have to be afraid that I'm going to lose it again. You know, you look at Lazarus, he was brought back to life. He still died. Yeah. Like healing is always temporary on this earth. God can do with what he wants with my sight. I know heaven is coming and I don't know what's going to happen between then and now. And so it was this giving up of that fear of like, what if, and, and is it, and, but it's definitely a wrestling. Yes. I love that good word too, that you, you had surrendered it already. And so you surrendered it, this piece of it again, like you had already surrendered your sight. Now you were going to surrender your fear over your sight one more time as well. I would love to hear the reactions that people were having. I mean, you, you're telling obviously family members and good friends and doctors and what, what, I mean, this is a, obviously a miracle and a miraculous story. What kind of, uh, reception were other people having during this time as you were telling them the stories? Yeah, it was so interesting. It was like the full gamut because, you know, my mom and dad were like, we've been praying for this for years. You know, me thinking like, well, I haven't, I haven't, (laughs) you know, so many people have, and this was an answer to the prayer of so many people that joined in. And it was just like this convergence of the body of Christ asking on my behalf. And so that was a beautiful gift. And then my husband almost had the experience. I told him on the phone on the way home and he was like, he was like, now I see what it's like to feel like the disciples. You read the Bible and you think these guys are idiots. They saw all this healing and then they still don't believe. They still think, well, are you going to provide the bread and fish? How can you do that? Can you walk on water? Is that you? You're like, y'all saw 
everything and you still doubt it. And he was like, that's how I feel. He's like, I believe you. I believe the words you're telling me, but why is it hard to believe? And so it was so neat watching him and my kids recognize because they saw the physical change. They saw me not tripping anymore. They saw me walking with confidence. They saw me walking at night. They saw me not grabbing onto things, not using my flashlight. And so they knew without a doubt, something was different because the, the mom they knew before and the mom they knew after were different. Yeah, yeah. You know, they would joke, like we would be watching TV and I'm like, I can see y'all picking your nose and I'm looking at the TV. <laughs> this is crazy. So it was neat to see, you know, when my son was 13 at the time, he said, mom, I asked God if he would just let you see me walk across the stage, walk down the aisle and allow you to see my grandkids, a 13 year old boy. I'm like, Buddy, this was your answer to prayer too. And so, you know, then came the doctors. I had been with a specialist for years. You know, I actually got in with a specialist here in Atlanta because I couldn't get in with my guy at Duke for a couple more months. And I was like, I just want to know if, is it just my experience that changed or is it the science? I was curious. It wasn't that I doubted. I was just no, curious. curious. So I I got in with a guy down here and I'm like, can you just do a retinal scan? He was like, this is the weirdest request I've ever gotten. And I was like, I know, <laughs> but I have this, I had this diagnosis. I just want to see my retinal scan. And so he gets, squeezes me in, in a cancellation. I'm a new patient. He's like, listen, I think you were actually misdiagnosed. Your scans are clear. He was like, Pro- you probably don't understand what retinitis pigmentosa is. It's cell death. It shows up on a scan as black speckling. Your rods and cones are dead. I was like, yep, I've seen those scans before. It looks like a black speckled mess, my scans. And he was like, well, this is your scan today. No evidence, cell death. And that was on Good Friday. And so it's just so powerful to me of like death reverse. Like God has not only the power to change my experience of my sight, but he actually reversed cell death. Like that's how powerful he is. And so I got in with my guy at Duke who's not a believer. And he could not explain it. He said, you know, every scan shows change. Your, your retina actually thickened seven times its thickness because a degenerative disease thins the retina. And he was like, it's seven times thick, thicker than it was in January when I scanned you. Now we're in May. And, and I told him about my healing. I told him about what God had done. And he said, well, that's an intangible I can't measure. And so it was just, you know, I was confronted with someone who didn't believe and he couldn't explain it with science, but he also wouldn't, you know, grab hold of faith yeah. and grab hold of the fact that this was a miracle. So I definitely had the the range of, of responses for sure. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. Thank you so much for digging into this story for us. I, I have, of course, a million stories, a million questions, I mean, and limited time. I want to dig into like you figuring out how to walk with the cane. And I'm so curious (laughs) about this Bible study. And I mean, of course, I just am like, I want to ask all the things, but we just don't have the time today to ask all the things. So I kind of want to narrow it down a little bit. And you said something that was very poignant, and I want to dig into it a little bit further, that not only did God miraculously heal your sight, which is such a it just is so mind blowing because like you said, like it's not something that most of us witness in our lifetime. Maybe, right. you know, we're not witnessing either 
praying for someone's healing and having it happen or, you know, it's not something that we, we, lots of us literally see in our mm-hmm. lifetime. Hearing stories, yes, but literally see. And so it's so, so, so powerful. Um, but you said not only did God just heal your sight, but he also enlarged your vision of the Holy Spirit. Obviously, mm-hmm. through through studying God's word, through your mentor, through the just the uh, personal invitation of God the Father into your own life. So I would love to dig in a little bit to that. Like, what... What did that look like as you were struggling with this disease? And do I ask God for healing? Like, why am I not? And do I ask God for healing? What What did your relationship, how did your relationship with the Holy Spirit grow? And mm-hmm. what did it look like? Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. I feel like this verse in Second Kings, out of all places, totally sums it up for me. And it's talking about Elisha's servant and it's 2 Kings 6, 15. And it says, the servant went out early in the morning. He sees an army of horses and chariots surrounding the city. And his response is, oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Elisha responds, don't be afraid. The prophet answers, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And it really shows this dynamic of physical sight and spiritual sight. So with his physical sight, he sees this army that looks bigger than they can handle. And he has two responses, panic. Oh no, my Lord. And then what should we do? Self-reliance, fix it. What's the formula that I need to go through to tackle this problem? And I think for me, that's how it started out with my diagnosis is, oh no, my Lord. And then what shall I do? And the beauty, the beauty in it was that there was nothing I could do. And so that was the gift that there was no cure. There was no fix it. There was no go on this regimen and it'll come back. Hmm. So really it was a release of control. But also what the story shows is that we can look at our circumstance with physical sight And the enemy is going to want to keep us overwhelmed and trapped in anxiety and self-reliance. Like you've just got to do the work and fix it. And then the Lord will maybe come along. But instead, like he's asking for spiritual sight. And when the servant's spiritual eyes were opened, he sees God has angel armies that far outweigh the circumstance that are battling on his behalf. And so I think that's the picture of the spiritual aspect of my healing for me is he was opening my spiritual eyes to see, yes, this is a diagnosis. Yes, it looks bad, but this is an invitation for you to know me in a way you couldn't before. And his introducing me to the Holy Spirit became the tool he used to open my eyes spiritually. And and walking through the gospels and acts was just this, like seeing the Holy Spirit in this way that I had ignored, honestly. I think the Holy Spirit's not been represented well. I think he's presented sometimes in these crazy ways that you're like, I don't know about that. That's strange. But like when you really read the Bible, the Holy Spirit's called the comforter and the counselor and our advocate and intercessor. And he's the revealer of truth. And and God really showed like, I have a personal companion who speaks and, you know, I think of the voice, the verse in John, I can't remember the chapter where it says, I'm the good shepherd and my sheep know my voice. Yeah. And I think a lot of us believe this lie that 
God spoke in the Bible. He closed it. He acted that way in the Bible. He closed it and he doesn't anymore. And so I had to peel those lies off of the Lord that like you actually do speak. You actually do reveal yourself in ways even with scripture and beyond scripture in nature and speaking to me in prayer in healing. And so it was this getting to know the Lord. And it was almost like that picture of my vision Mm -hmm. that was so tunnel visioned. And it was like the Lord was like, no, you're seeing me here, this small, limited perspective, but I'm way out here. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to blow up the box you put me in. I want to expand the sight and to see me for bigger, immeasurably more, that there's more to me. And there's so many um, ways he did that in unveiling my identity as who I am, that I'm forgiven, that I'm loved, that I'm redeemed, that there's mm-hmm. nothing I can do in my performance to lose that or add to that. And, you know, these things we learn as a little kid, like just behave and you get your gold star. You know, we easily put that on our Christian life. And, and my diagnosis really blew up that box for me of this isn't a punishment from the Lord. He's using this as an invitation uh, to know him more and to walk intimately with him. And so I think that was really getting to know the Holy spirit, this forgotten member of the Trinity to me of like, I have someone who's sealed with me at all times, who speaks, who reminds, who gives power. You know, it's just, it's a beautiful thing that we often forget. We're walking around with the indwelling of Christ. Like we look at Mary and we're like, oh my gosh, she had Christ inside of her. And we forget, hello, we do too. Like we're sealed with his spirit and we have access to that power. We have access to his wisdom, his counsel, his comfort, his strength. I would love for you to give any practical examples that you can, like what, like nuts and bolts for women who are listening and they're like, okay, we, we think everything that you're saying is amazing and we love it, but okay, how does this actually, how do I actually walk this out day by day in my daily day as I'm running errands and driving kids to sports events and making dinner, doing laundry, all the things, how does this practically apply to your life? How has it changed um, your prayer life or how you read the Bible or, you know, yeah. any examples like that. Can you give us some real nuts and bolts, practical examples? For sure. I think reading the Bible changed for me because I'm reminded that it even calls the Holy spirit calls himself the revealer of truth. Yeah. And so there's so often you sit down with your Bible and you're like, Oh, I didn't get anything out of that. Or let me breeze through this real quick. And so now when I sit down, I'm like, okay, I have your spirit. You can reveal this to me. Show me what you have for me today. Show me what you want me to hear. Remind me of who you are. Remind me of who I am. And so it's this continual conversation that changes from these, you know, we lock in this time with the Lord, this five minutes in the morning or these 10 minutes of prayer here or reading the Bible for five minutes here. And then that segregates out into our day. And instead it's changed for me into this, and Lord, and Jesus, as I'm washing the dishes, as I'm driving, as soon as my kid says something that I'm like, what am I going to do? That panic reaction of Elisha's servant. Like, I'm like, nope, you have the spirit inside of them. You fill in the gaps where I like in your, in my weakness, your power is made perfect. So Jesus, make your power perfect in this. Mm -hmm. Show me what to do. Show me when to be quiet. Do I speak? Do I not? You know? And so it's this continual conversation throughout my whole day 30 seconds here, five seconds here that changes my perspective, that reminds me 
of what I can control and what I can't control. Because I think so often in marriage and parenting, we think I've got to have the right conversation. I've got to do the right discipline. I've got to give the right consequence. I've got to say the truth in the right way that they're going to understand it. And we forget that we are limited and the Holy Spirit is bigger than us. And he can Mm -hmm. tune their ears. He can shut their ears to what we say that's wrong, or he can fill in the gaps to where we miss the mark and we mess up. And so it takes the pressure off of daily parenting, of daily conversations. And it reminds me, I have a person I can go to. I have a counselor in my back pocket of like, what do I do here? And and it's hard at first. It's like, was that you? Was that me? Am I hearing you right? But as I've practiced this, it's easier and easier. It's almost like my hearing has sharpened. I'm like, okay, that's the Lord. That's the enemy saying, nope, you're not worthy. You're going to mess this up. So I'm starting to delineate that with so much better accuracy and speed. And I'm starting to get to that question quicker of like, help me. I don't know what to do. What do I say? Um, And he's just bringing things to mind. And so it's just that shift of remembering to ask. Yeah. I think if I'm hearing you correctly, the way that I would synthesize it for my own self is that you, it's almost like you have to do a mind shift that God is always, that the spirit is always with you and dwelled in you, your companion, and then make that mind shift habit throughout the day. You, what you're able to do is to be able to eventually arrive at the place that every time something comes up or you're just washing the dishes and it's nothing major that you're remembering who is with you and who you can speak to. Um, I just, that's right. Yeah. I love that. I love that it becomes a habit, which obviously for you, it has correct. Right. Right. And it's like shifting. The more we see God as who he truly is and not what we've imagined him to be or put our own self onto him. And as then the more we realize the identity he's given us in Christ, then those things frame those conversations with our kids and the disagreements with their husbands. Cause I'm getting my value from him and I'm yeah. hearing that I'm accepted from, from Jesus. And then I'm not seeking that value in my husband, which then gets yeah. that fight a little bit less, you know, explosive because it's like, I'm already loved and accepted and I'm not leaning on you for that. Or I know I'm not in control of my kid's future based on my performance. Like I've given, I'm surrendering that. And so these conversations, the pressure's off. And when we're in our right, you know, vision and hearing of who we are and who he is, it just changes everything. Yeah. It changes the whole framework. Exactly. In which we live and exist and speak and think. It just changes the entire framework. You've spoken s- several times now about God's word. Um, I love that quote from the pastor. If you're cut, we bleed God's word. That's right. I, I asked that as a question. He made it as a statement. But, yeah. Um, and then just how um, understanding the, un- the Holy Spirit, you just are able to read the Bible differently. Do you have any, and you've already quoted some great passages. So perhaps those are your kind of your life verses or your go-to verses, but do you have any life verses for yourself personally? Yes. Um, for our family, it is Matthew 5, 14, um, which is in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's such a classic verse, but I love how it says in the message. So I'm just going to read it word for word, but it says, here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out God colors in the world. 
God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you a light bearer, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you on that hilltop, on that light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt others to open up with God, their generous Father in heaven. Hmm. And so that's just an anchor verse for us in a family of hospitality in a small way, but more so God's not going to do something in our lives and then cover it. And so this healing even has been an invitation. I don't want the attention on me. I don't want people to misinterpret my healing. And so at first I was even scared to share about it because I didn't want people to think, oh, if you follow this formula, you're going to get this result or, oh, God didn't do that for me. So he must not be good. And so I was nervous, but I think even God took me back to our life first. Like, look, if I am going to put you on this hilltop, you've got to shine. I, I, gave you the story and I'm asking you to steward it. And so it's not about pointing to me. It's about pointing to the generous father in heaven. And it still doesn't make sense to me. I'm no healing expert. I still have questions of the Lord and don't understand it, but I'm like, okay, God, I'm just going to hold this with open hands. It's all what you've done. I don't understand it, but I want to point others back to you. Hmm. Such a powerful story because we, you know, we hear, so often because because disappointment stings so badly we are um in our own stories i think those are the moments that stand out right when we have been honestly if i'm speaking honestly disappointed by god right we asked something and it wasn't that wasn't god's plan and his path and his will and in that moment we feel this searing pain of disappointment right. in that moment but it's so good to hear it's so refreshing for our souls to hear stories like yours and to know that god is still in the business of healing spiritually like we all wholly believe that but he's also still in the business of healing physically That's right. and he hasn't closed that chapter of his of the way that he works that's right and so it's so powerful. So I do thank you for for sharing our, your story that we can all be refreshed by it. And I would love to ask, I feel like this is a really tender question for people listening who have carried that disappointment. Um, but if you were sitting down with a woman for coffee who is living with a disease that is a, either a de de degenerative disease or maybe a terminal disease, mm -hmm. um, what 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 words of encouragement would you want to tell her? Yeah, I think at first I would just tell her, I think there's some misconceptions in the church that like God did this to you, God afflicted you with you with this, or this is a punishment. And I would say, this is not like we're living in this broken world that sin has ravaged all the way down to our DNA or our cells. And, and it's not a punishment from the Lord, but God redeems brokenness. And so God wants to redeem that. And I don't know what that looks like. And it's not a formula of if you do this, or if you have this much faith, then you will get, but it is an assurance that we will get more of Christ. And your diagnosis is not a punishment, but it is an invitation to intimacy. It's like, God is this gentleman with his hand out. Like, will you come deeper with me in this independence? And you will find it's so rich to walk even a path of suffering. If we truly want to be Christ-like and you look at his life, 
He walked the path of suffering. And he says, you're going to have trials, but I have overcome the world and you get my peace and you get me. I will not leave you as orphans. I will walk with you through this. And so sometimes you have to give up the temporary of, yes, sight would be nice. Or yes, you know, you know, cancer free would be nice. Or my child coming to like stop this behavior or get to know Christ in this way would be nice. But I am trusting that you are working in a way that I don't have perspective for. My perspective is limited and you see beyond this disease or this season of my life or this circumstance and you are a good God. And so I'm just going to trust even when I don't see it, that you're a good God. And even when I don't see it, you're working and you're moving in ways that are beyond my understanding. It may look like healing and it may not. I don't understand why God heals in some situations and doesn't. And even in our own family, I don't want people to think, oh, every time I ask the Lord, he moves in swiftly and heals. We've been praying prayers for 10 years on some for some of our kids for healing for their hearts and their pain. And we are seeing glimpses but not fullness. And so we're waiting with hope that we know a God who can reverse cell death can heal their hearts and their pain and their grief and brokenness. And I trust a good God in that that's in his hands and that he knows better than me, even as their mom, he loves them more than me and he will move in their best and for his glory. Wow. I love it. Thank you for sharing all of that. I think that your faith is inspiring and encouraging. But I think more than that, even just what we've seen is that you, that you have a very, very intimate walk with the Lord. And I think that is mostly as you've, we look at this big story of from the start that we've heard until now is just seeing how intimately that you've walked with God through this. And I'm sure there have been angry outbursts (laughs) at the beginning of all of this (laughs) thinking, God, what have we, what have you done in my life? But that you, that you just, um, you set your sail of your ship towards God the heavens and you said and you said my hope is an anchor and this is the way i'm heading i'm heading towards the lord i am heading in the end towards heaven and i'm going to sail in this life no matter how turbulent the seas with great faith and strength and so just thank you so so much for sharing your story with us what an encouragement and i love to end every podcast by just asking a fun question is what is one thing right now making you happy? Okay. Easy question. I am reading Charles Martin books right now. And I just finished a trilogy called the water keeper, the letter keeper and the record keeper. It was so good. I'm like getting lost in fiction books. I'm like, kids, put yourselves to bed. I am busy, but it has been my little escape, but it is so rich with also like, not just an escape to nothingness, but it's so rich with meaning and with hope and with truth. And so it's been a fun little fiction getaway. So Charles Martin, I would recommend anything he writes, but that trilogy I just finished was amazing. Well, that's great. That's super fun. And thank you for the recommendation. We do that's right. we do love recommendations. And we always say on this podcast that stories lend strength. And so your that's story right. is lending strength to someone else. But I believe that even about fiction stories that that's we read right. as well, we can be so encouraged and strengthened just by reading fiction stories as well. And so that's right. thank you for sharing that with us. It's been a real pleasure, a real honor to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for telling your story. We just really, really appreciate it having you on today. 
It's my pleasure. And so prayerful for everyone who listens that just leans in with the Lord in a new way. So I'm, I'm really prayerful for each listener. And thank you for that opportunity. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks so much for joining us. You know what? I love to hear from you. I love to hear from people who are in this Bold Mercies community. You can find me on socials at Heather J. Johnson or Bold Mercies Podcast, where I just put out recaps of what we have learned from each episode. Hit subscribe so that you do not miss an episode. It is always such a delight to share these stories with you. Have a great week.